What does cancer, addiction, fires and floods, struggles with identity, mosquitoes, all have in common? Maybe more than we think. All of these things find their origin, their roots, in the story of creation we find in Genesis. We see the beauty of God's creation, a sovereign God doing this amazing work, but we also see the destruction of sin. We also see the wrestling and the havoc on relationships. And there is unbelievable mystery in the story of creation, but there's also unimaginable mercy. And so one of the things that is so fascinating in this world that we live in, a world filled with trouble, is when you walk the hallways of pediatric intensive care units like I have, late at night, all alone. When you walk with people through grief and and suffering, you see some of the, the deepest mourning and grief but you also get glimpses of grace all along the way. And that's the story we find in Genesis. When we get to the story of creation in Genesis chapter 3, we begin to see some interesting things. Before that, we see that God is sovereign by His very Word. He speaks everything into existence. We see that He's even bringing redemption, restoration in the midst of His creation, uh, order out of chaos, light in the midst of darkness. He's working. We see relationships being started. We see we're created to flourish within relationship with God, ourselves, with others, and with creation. We see that within the brokenness, there's a, uh, the world, there's a tempter who's leading us astray, and there's a battle that is going on there. When we get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, we're we're seeing that the comfort, the joy, the trust that Adam and Eve once had with God is broken. We see that they once walked with God in the midst of the garden, and there was an intimate relationship, but it's been destroyed, and there are consequences. And the story takes quite a turn. In verse 13, the scripture says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's a promise there. We'll get back to that in a moment. Verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Consequences to relationship. We'll get there in a moment. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food and from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field and by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. This passage reminds us that those relationships that we were created for, that Adam and Eve in the garden were experiencing relationships with God, with self, with others, and with creation, there's consequences here in the fall. There's consequences because of sin. 
There's consequences, first of all, in their relationship with God, where once there was intimacy and trust, they walked with God in the garden. That's just a picture of like uh, a trusting, close, uh, flourishing relationship. Now there is suspicion and there's fear and there's guilt. It's like being in a, in a garden like this um, and not experiencing life, but experiencing a dry, like something is wrong in their relationship where it was supposed to be flourishing. Now they're hiding in the bushes where they're supposed to be vulnerable and transparent with God. Now they're covering their shame with a fig leaf. There's been a break in their relationship. And I believe if we're going to experience the abundant life, the flourishing that God has for us in life, it will only happen with God at the center. And with when God is not the center, when there is a separation, we can't experience the flourishing that he has. We can't experience the relationship because sin brings separation. It breeds mistrust and something must be done. He may still welcome us in. God would welcome us in with his grace and with his mercy. And yet something in us has to be dealt with because we tend to push him away. We tend to hide and we need to be restored to a right relationship with God. There are also consequences in our relationship to ourselves. The the separation with God has impacts on us because rebellion always involves self-deception. There's a struggle when we lose a God awareness to actually have an accurate self-awareness. You've seen the serpent in tempting Eve and challenging the words of God. Eve didn't just lose sight of God. She lost sight of her own identity. When she imagined God as something less than father, she also imagined herself as something less than daughter. Daryl Johnson says it this way. When we no longer know the creator as he is, we no longer know ourselves as we are. The reality is a wounded relationship with God causes a wounded relationship with ourselves. And the only way we can have a healed relationship with ourselves is to have a healed relationship with God. And God gives us that invitation even in the midst of our own brokenness. We also see the consequences in our relationship with others. If there is, in the core of who we are, separation in our relationship with God, and then there is an impact on our relationship with ourselves, undoubtedly um, that is going to spill out onto our relationship with others. Adam and Eve had an intimate relationship. They had trust. They knew each other. And then everything fell apart. And it spilled out onto all kinds of things. The intimacy that they had now is seen in blame, pointing the finger at each other, each refusing to take responsibility for what they had done, but assigning the blame to another. We see things like this from this passage. The woman's desire will be for her husband. Uh, There's this desire for intimacy that was there, but now it almost becomes a power struggle. Um, There's intimidation. There's intimacy issues, not just between spouses or marriages in our world, but between friends, between co-workers, between classmates. Like, it hasn't changed. There's still consequences in our relationship with others. When when we go through conflict with others and, and we're not sure how to deal with it correctly because there's such turmoil inside of ourselves, and yet we're also not rooted in God, the evening news is filled with one example after another 
from war to violence to crime, divisiveness, it's on full display in our world. There's a brokenness that we've got to do something about. Better yet, God's got to do something about. But we don't need the news to tell us that. Most of us know in our own relationships the pain of separation, the pain of isolation, whether it's a marriage that has grown astray, whether it's a child that's off doing their own thing, whether it's a friendship that used to be so tight that now just feels irreparable, whether it's a co-worker that we're just not sure we like or a classmate that we can't stand. There's this kind of division. We feel the tension. And again, something must be done. Hold on just a little bit longer. Good news is God has. But before we get there, there's still one more relationship we need to address. There are also consequences on our relationship with creation. Now, creation's a little bit more confusing of a topic to get because it has sort of overarching implications into our life, what we do for a living, school, how we spend our time. That's why the Apostle Paul says, don't live as unwise, but as wise, make the most of every opportunity. It's how we spend our time. It's the decisions we make. And it's things that we see here in this story because of sin entering the story. The snake is cursed. The the ground is cursed. There's thorns. There's thistles. This creation that was at one time supposed to be perfect, it suffers the devastating effects. There are winds. There are storms that come. and, And sometimes it's just unexplainable. There are weeds that grow in places we can't imagine. How can a weed grow there? And and it shouldn't. There is a work that at once was created to be a flourishing activity is now filled with toil and filled with pain. And mosquitoes probably start biting too. There's all of these kinds of things that we would say, well, that's just what what happens. No, no, no. It is an impact of the fall, the, the sin in Genesis, how everything fell apart. Romans 8, 22, the Apostle Paul writes these words, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. There is a pain, a groaning in our world because of the consequences on creation that sin has caused. We can look at our world in evil and suffering. We can look at sickness and disease. We can look at death and say, There's a reason for all of this. Christianity helps us to understand from beginning to end a little bit better what is going on. And Genesis helps us understand that all suffering and all evil, it does have origins all the way back in the earliest chapters of Scripture here in Genesis. God created a good world. He looks and sees this world that He's created that is good, and with a broken heart, He watches it fall apart. There's an tempter, the devil, in those early chapters. There's human beings who are called very good, and yet part of being very good is they're given free will. And free will for Adam and Eve is not that different than it is from us. We have the opportunity to choose right and wrong, good and trusting decisions for God, or ones that pull us away out of mistrust. And just like them, we often choose to mistrust God in order to trust ourselves, to disobey God in order to follow our own desires. And so we see that the sin in the very beginning still has overarching effects today. But let me just try to clear something up. 
This doesn't mean that my sin today has these specific effects. I remember very early on in our daughter's diagnosis, walking the hallways of the pediatric intensive care unit, devastated, overwhelmed, and honestly not really thinking clearly, wondering, God, did I do something wrong for my daughter to get cancer? Now, that, that's not right. It's understandable how you could think that. But yes, I have sin in my life. We all do. But God wasn't punishing my daughter for that. Cancer, just like suffering of all kinds, just like unexplainable storms, is a result of the fall that we see in Genesis where everything falls apart and creation itself begins to deteriorate and creation itself is even groaning. Like, help. Creation's calling just like we are, and God is going to restore. But just like the man who was born blind in John chapter 9, and people asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Sin doesn't have that kind of impact, that kind of specific consequence. Jesus says, neither. This man was born blind that my glory could be revealed in his life. And God still wants to reveal his glory in our lives, and he still wants to reveal his glory in our world. Let's pick Genesis 3 back up where we left off in verse 20. Scripture says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Even the act of naming is one of just hope that the story isn't over. Verse 21, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. See, Adam and Eve had tried in vain to cover themselves with fig leaves, temporary at best, but very limited. And God takes the drastic measure of sacrificing an animal and making a a garment for them. So we see the first sacrifice in Scripture, a way that God provides for them. Walter Brueggemann says this, God does for the couple what they cannot do for themselves. They cannot deal with their shame, but God can. He will, and He does. But what we see here is a divine pattern, not just in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, but in Genesis chapter 4 and all throughout the Old Testament. There is sin. There is sin. Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. Cain kills his brother Abel. There's judgment. After that, God speaks against the serpent. He speaks to the woman and the man. There's judgment. But then there's an act, a a token of grace. God makes clothing for them. God covers them where they're the most vulnerable. But then we see God executes judgment. He banishes them from the garden. And we see this sort of vicious cycle play out time in time again in the Old Testament, but we also see this cycle play out in our lives over and over and over again. But there's a hint of good news. I don't know if we caught that way back in verse 15, a hint of good news. Scholars have called it the proto-evangelium, the first mention of the good news. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you, this is to the snake, the serpent, between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head 
and you will strike his heel. This is a promise, though the serpent may do damage, that ultimately one day there is a conqueror coming who will crush the head of the enemy. This promise holds the rest of Scripture together. In the midst of destruction, in the midst of separation, there is a promise that God is still at work, will still be at work, and He'll bring His work to completion. So the announcement of that first good news, it obviously finds its fulfillment in Jesus. See, Jesus enters our story to restore our relationship to the Father. Jesus suffers the consequences of the mess that our sins create. Jesus takes responsibility to reach out and rescue the brokenness of the world and to restore us to a relationship with God, a right relationship with ourselves, a right relationship with others, and a right relationship with creation. See, Paul writes about this in Romans 5 and says this, if many died by the trespass of one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Salvation grace overflows to the many, the many who were affected by sin. But also Romans uh, 5.17, Paul writes, For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? That our reigning in life, victory in life, is through Jesus Christ to overcome sin and its devastating consequences. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam. He comes to give us a new humanity. He comes to renew our life. Jesus comes and he says even to Nicodemus, if you're going to get to the Father, you must be born again. And being born again, having new life, we find that start, that renewal, that restoration in Jesus alone. He brings us the grace we so desperately need. Have you ever thought about this? The story of Scripture begins and ends in a garden. The Garden of Eden in Genesis is this place of beauty. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of where God's flourishing world is at its best. Yes, things fall apart. The rest of the story of Scripture is one of redemption, one of restoration. And you get to the end of the story, Revelation 22, and once again, there's river, there are trees, there's fruitfulness. It's a return to the garden. It's a return to a restored Eden. The broken has been mended. In chapter 21 of Revelation, we're told God dwells with his people, that he's going to wipe our tears from our eyes, that there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And in Revelation 22, we are told we will reign with him forever. And ever, just like Adam and Eve were told in the garden, God's beautiful restoration. I love what E. Stanley Jones, a missionary to India, said about the early Christians. He said that they didn't look at the world in frustration and say, look what the world has come to. They looked at the world through a lens of scripture and said, look who has come to our world. They weren't just focused on the ruin. They were focused on the restoration. They weren't just focused on the brokenness, they were focused on the blessings that could be found in Jesus, in our faithful God. I wonder if you are remembering today the beauty 
and the blessings of our God. Maybe just take a moment right now. Close your eyes. Maybe just breathe in slowly and just whisper a prayer. God, help me to remember your faithfulness. God, thank you for restoration. God, help me in the midst of my brokenness. And God, bring beauty into our lives. And just whisper a thank you, God, for your faithfulness. You're good. You're a sovereign creator. We trust you.